0: Last week, you heard from Olivia, the author of Impossible Parenting, and this week we are going to hear her share with us about intrusive thoughts. And here is what she suggests when we are having intrusive thoughts lovingly remind your internal risk assessor that you are capable of doing whatever the thing is safely and that you will be extra cautious when you repeat this and intentionally noticing how many times you do do something safely, the intrusive thoughts will often disappear, or at least become more manageable. There is a lot that you can do to challenge thoughts and influence your own thinking patterns. And this is why various forms of therapy can help with depression and anxiety, as well as many other things. Therapists and counselors use a variety of strategies to help their clients process and cope with their thoughts that are negatively impacting your mood. This is not the same as making the ridiculous and insensitive statement of just think more positively and you'll feel better. If parents could feel better, they would feel better. Challenging negative and anxious thoughts is difficult, and finding the right practitioner with the right therapeutic focus is often the most important part of doing this work. Good therapy also supports the healthy functioning of brain circuits in a way that is different from medication, which is why therapy and medication are such a powerful true is such a powerful combination for treating mental health struggles. If you are looking for a trained therapist in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders or just for your mental health in general, the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Trainings now has a directory, which Olivia also founded, where you can find the practitioners who will specialize in getting your mental health back on track and you enjoying motherhood more. Keep listening for my candid conversation with Olivia about my own intrusive thoughts, her intrusive thoughts, and what to do about them. Thank you so much for being here. Can we talk for a minute about when the intrusive thoughts or those dark pesky thoughts kind of start entering into our consciousness and our our sleep even or you know those 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 mornings when the intrusive thoughts would come in for me and was like right before I would fall asleep because I'd be rehearsing this like tragic mm-hmm. scenario and then right in the morning like almost before I was almost awake the thought would be well my Baby's already dead. So I might as well get in the shower. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I might as well be showered before I have to call 911. Like that was leg- yes. <laughs> legitimately like five out of seven mornings. I wouldn't even be awake yet. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that is very intrusive. You're like, you're coming into my dreams. You're coming into my early morning um, thoughts. And I had a really similar experience with my my second. It was really related to sleep. And I had a lot of checking behavior um, to be like, you're breathing, right? Okay. Oh, wait, just let me check again. And intrusive thoughts are, I think this is the same for you, one of the biggest things that people Mm -hmm. um, come to get support around. And what I see often is that parents are so horrified by the the thought um, Mm -hmm. of like, what kind of parent thinks these thoughts um, does this mean that I want this to happen? Is this my subconscious? Oh my, am I gonna manifest this? Like there's such a fear response. Um and to clarify, for those who the idea of intrusive thoughts is kind of new to, there are often mm-hmm. these really scary, frightening, sudden thoughts that come out of nowhere. Um, they are really common perinatally, and I'll talk about a theory about why that is in a second. And some of the more common ones um not that i want to give scary images but they come up a lot are things like the baby stopping breathing in sleep mm-hmm. falling down stairs is another really big one um slipping in the bath is another really big one but sometimes they are um uh more difficult for parents to sit with in nature that they are thoughts of like them harming their child sometimes they're quite gruesome. Sometimes they can be sexual in nature. And so it can be really terrifying for parents to be honest about the thoughts they're having, because they don't want people to think um, that that is something that could be true about them, or they don't want that to be something that could be true Mm -hmm. about them to think about themselves. So even though intrusive thoughts have such a broad range, I will do a lot, and I'm sure you do too, of separating that, like, the thought is the thought the thought does not represent who you are as a parent or what you want to happen as a parent at all, and I really like this theory. I wish I could quote where this theory came from. I think I heard it once at a conference and then immediately forgot who was theorizing about this, so if that's you and you're listening, like please let me know. Um, <laughs> but it was this idea that every time we are learning something that is new and risky, we have a um, we have to retrain the part of our brain that is assessing risk Mm. to know that something feels safe. Um, and so once that risky thing that we're doing starts to feel safe, we get to sort of put it into our procedural memory. And so the things that we do all the time that are pretty risky, like, I mean, depending on life and ability, going up and down the stairs, driving a car, showering, chopping vegetables with a sharp knife, like those things are risky. And when we first learn how to do them, we are so careful about them. We like go up and down the stairs with like an adult We scoot down on our bums. We get those like learning knives that can't hurt us. Um, and then over time, as we become more proficient, we get less scared and we don't think often about how risky that stuff is. But then when you have a baby, that part of us that's doing risk assessment is like, whoa, hold on. I, I actually, we have to keep this baby safe now too. And for some people that can present in these like really frightening thoughts of like you get to the top of the stairs and you haven't thought about how safe it is to go up and down the stairs for years. But now you have this baby and you have this vision of falling down the stairs with the baby, um, which doesn't mean you will, or doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that you want to, but it's adding that separation of, oh, the part of your brain that is asking you to assess risk is doing it in this like mean way or this hard way.
0: Yeah.
1: But really the question is, is this safe to do? And so like, you actually get to answer that. Like, yep, it's safe. Like, I'm gonna like snuggle the baby in tight. I'm gonna hold the railing. We'll go down slowly together as a way to start and re-pattern into the procedural memory, the things that um, uh, our brain is just like asking us about. That's the most obvious example. It can feel, um weirder when people are like but I was chopping vegetables and then I had a really interesting thought around that right. um and so but the principle still applies is like detach from the thought not like why did I have that thought but just say like do your own risk assessment of like yeah this is perfectly safe this is perfectly safe right now I can see how far the baby is from over here um to help with some of that detachment and
0: retraining Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something else that comes up for a lot of my clients is the idea that hormones are playing a larger factor than um they actually are and they're actually receiving some of that information from their providers and um there can be this um kind of like blanket. Oh, it's sister hormones or, Oh, that's just expected. Or yeah, you'll just have to ride that out. And, um, well, you know, once, once the milk comes in, once you stop breastfeeding, like there's all these like reasons why hormones yeah. are, are happening or making their mood contributing to their mood in such a way that they feel like they don't have any control over. Um, because it's just hormones. Um, can you give some insight to, to some of
1: that narrative? There are some people that take a lot of like relief or solace and the idea of like, oh, it's my, it's my body. I can't control this particularly related to, um, like postpartum depression or anxiety or any mood disorder than the biological narrative of like, oh, it's a problem with my, with my brain. So I never want to take that narrative from people if that feels like really important to them. Um, and the way that I think about it is that like, it's just really complicated that that might be true for people who gave birth that yes, there's lots of pieces happening hormonally. Um, uh, I also think that there's a lot of things about postpartum specifically that don't feel that good for like our brain health um there may be some things in yeah, terms of oxygen a- person, but like if somebody was having a tough time with depression we normally say like let's focus on your sleep let's get you like out there make sure make sure yeah. you're socializing yeah. how do we reduce your stress which is so different from like you're gonna have a lot of disruptive sleep like lord help you to get like full meals in um you're probably gonna be pretty isolated like it feels like so not what would feel like conducive for um like feeling really like happy necessarily
0: yeah
1: um so there's that piece but i think sometimes what gets missed from that um is a few other components of this like model that i think about in terms of influences the first is like our thoughts and our thinking patterns in terms of intrusive thoughts in terms of um those who are prone a little bit more to perfectionism or um, rumination. Like there's a component there because there's a lot to think about perinatally. I also um, have a, a thing that I talk about in terms of one of the challenges of like managing our thoughts postpartum is that we are often being asked to parent in like multiple timelines. So there's this timeline of like, oh, there's this baby child that needs responding to right now, right here, because um, they are crying or in need of something. There is the way off in the future timeline. So what decision I make now, what will that mean for them as an adult? Like, oh, I better get it right right now. Or um, uh, the thing that like often primary parents know so well, which is you are always a couple hours or a couple days ahead. So if we leave the park right now, then we can have an afternoon snack and then we'll get a yes. nap in time. But if we don't leave in the next 20 minutes, we're going to miss the, like that intense like thinking. Yes. So there's just a lot that goes on in terms of our, our thinking um, and the stress that comes with that. There's also a lot of research that links life circumstances and risk factors um, for people who have a hard time perineatally with um, their mood. I mean, this list is so long i was doing some research years ago trying to track all of these things and it was so long it, it was so
0: again. long yeah it's it's, it's so kind long. of like honestly i i liken it sometimes humorously to clients who i have an established relationship with to the length of list of covid symptoms like when when covid yeah. first came out and you were like as a new parent as a parent or you, at any stage you're reading this list of what to watch for one in your kids so that you don't send them to school or daycare sick and two in yourself so that the you know the person to person contact isn't also not spreading. And you're like, everything, yeah. everything, yes. everything could be this. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I, I have also um gone down a little bit of that rabbit hole of the risk factors and who would be at risk and how do we how do we prevent it? And I've done a like a uh, whole subsection of my of my business and my entrepreneur life is about prevention and is about education and getting in front of prenatal people and and then you and you give them this list, I would check every box yeah. like every single box yes,
1: yeah. it is a long list, yes, and I think what feels helpful is like anything that's causing you stress like yeah that that is something that we may want to look at or consider. Versus that, well, do you have a history of an eating disorder? Do you have like, like Metal, like PMDD? Yes. Like, like, this, just, just gets so. Do you have so a complicated
0: panic. relationship with your birth
1: mother or
0: a yeah. mother or a caregiver? Yeah. It's, yeah. And define complicated, define complex, define, define what I consider to be traumatic and what you consider to be traumatic and my level of resilience and your level of resilience.
1: Yes, totally. And I think what was really clarifying for people around like, right, life circumstance matters is what we saw during COVID when they were like, everybody stay at home and don't have any help and also work, but have all of your children home that you need to homeschool. And nobody was okay. I mean, maybe somebody was, I didn't really know a lot of people who were okay. I didn't, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, that matters actually that mm-hmm. like all of those pieces really matter. Um, and then the other piece, and as you talk about like the stuff that came up in our the stuff that can come up from our own childhood, is this really important part around what I think is like um developing a positive parenting identity, both internally. I can do this. I don't need to be perfect at this, uh, I don't need to get it right all the time, I don't need to know everything, but like I'm doing a good job. I feel good about how I'm showing up as a parent. But then also being witnessed as a good parent mm. and so not needing to constantly be demonstrating like this is how good i am at parenting whereas if somebody was like involved with child protection services they're like demonstrating modeling all the time like they're, yes, they're good yes. parenting um so having other people witness and acknowledge you are doing a good job like you, you got this um and there's a lot of different theories around um positive parental identity development and, and and how we do that, but that feels like such an important piece. Um, and a lot of our own childhood stuff can come up in that. If we are like, I don't have a map that I love. Yeah, and so yeah. I feel really lost figuring out how to do this and how to feel good about doing this. I just know what I don't want to replicate. And all of that feels really connected to um, the culture with, which we are trying to parent in because we're going to get a lot of messages around what it means to be a good parent. And I think that a lot of the messages in like Western cultures of parenting are rooted in some pretty hard stuff Mm. um, for people to be measuring themselves against. So we get a lot of messages around sacrifice. Sacrifice is like a demonstration of how much you love um, so when that is the message you're receiving around what it means to be a good parent, that's a really hard thing to grapple with. Um, it's a really scary time, I think, to be parenting because we are bombarded with a lot of like fear messages. There's this sense that like things are really dangerous all the time. Um, even some of the new gadgets, which I know come from a good place. But those like socks that you put on babies would be like if your baby's oxygen levels drop, we'll wake you up. And most people I know who've had those, they don't, like, they wake them up a lot because of the sock fell off or, like, something really benign. Yes. But, like, what does that do to us to be constantly, like, scared all the time? Um, so when we take a step back at, like, all of the messages around this is what it means to be a good parent, um, and if that's our internal measurement, I think that sets us up to have a really hard time with our mood. And even though there was an interesting piece of research done around um, the cultural messages of parenting. Uh, I wish I could remember, my memory is so terrible. I can't remember the researcher, but if somebody reaches out, I will find it for you. Um, That sort of found that a lot of us can look at the messages and we laugh at them. So we have movies Mm. like Bad Moms, we have shows like The Letdown, um, Working Moms. And so we're like, isn't it ridiculous the standard we hold moms to? So we know that, but there's a internal split because um what she also found is that we are simultaneously working harder than ever to try and meet those standards. And I often liken that to a lot of stuff that shows up for us around like our bodies that I cognitively have the most impressive like body politic of like my body's okay, and it's okay to resize, and I can like be like work with my health at any size. So I believe all those things on one level, but when I'm like bathing suit shopping, the narrative okay. that comes out around how I feel about my body is really different. And so we have to live with a lot of those um, parts that come up around us of like, I mm-hmm. cognitively know this. I also want to cry because I put this baby suit on.
0: Right. And like, I cognitively know that I can't be perfect in every parenting moment. And I know as a, a seasoned parent, if you would have told me this, like in day six of postpartum, I probably would have cried. But I I know this now that I cannot be perfect in every moment. I'm going to lose my shit. Things are going to unravel. I am going to lose my temper at some point. I'm going to be irritable and annoyed, and they're going to know it, right? And that's and that's like one of the hardest parts is that they're actually going to know it. They're going to know that I'm irritated with them. Yes, and I can know that. I can know that in this moment talking to you. And yet when it's happening, the words are coming out and the face is doing the thing. I'm already rehearsing for later in life when I'm having to apologize, validate, rectify, you know, like, oh, I did that. Oh, I I I I imparted that on you. Or um something else that can happen in this, as you call the impossible parenting standards is also holding our partner Mm -hmm. to that standard as well. Because my partner and I have talked about this a lot. In fact, we talked about it this morning that it's different when you're in it, when it's your feeling, your annoyance, your rage, you feel um, it needs to come out, right? All feelings are going to find their way out. And so Mm -hmm. it needs to come out. But when you're witnessing it, when you're witnessing your partner go through a dysregulated or an emotional moment, and you're already rehearsing the damage that it's doing, when it's not in when it's not in the category of emotional, physical, like abuse, yes. or neglect, like outside of yeah. that category, we're just talking about a general day to day, just trying to get the kids out the door moment, yeah. and you know you're frustrated and losing your shit, and you're already rehearsing how the damage that you're doing now is going to affect them, their kids, like all, you know? Yes.
1: And how, like only I can do that. And right. I don't like it when I do it. Right? Either. I'm, I'm the only Only me. <laughs> only me. me. Yeah. And never lose it. Yeah. Only me. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's easier to go through those feelings when you don't have a witness. So when you're parenting alone, righteous, you feel much more righteous to be feeling that feeling when you're alone versus when there's also a witness. Or you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
0: As you may or may not know, this is the second part in a three-part series with Olivia. Our next episode is all about yelling at your
1: kids. And here's a sneak peek. I've had a lot of parents, particularly post-pandemic, come to talk about the guilt related to yelling. I think particularly moms are feeling... The goal is I'm never going to get mad and dysregulate. And so like, if that is the goal, then there...